let me mention just a few things about this man. First, go back with me. And I want to mention to you, I told you I'd come back to verse 24. You'll see the name Kaniah. Um, and also, you'll notice that same name. Um, I had you to mark it in verse 28. I understand that this is not the full name. Uh, it's possible this was uh, the name that he went by before he became king of Israel. I understand this is a young man. Uh, how many of you ever heard of a nickname? You've heard that before? Uh, well, that's exactly what took place, if you'll look. In First uh, Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, you'll find his full name is Jeconiah. Jeconiah is his full name. Uh, if you'll look at his name along with other names in the Old Testament, you'll find that God or Jehovah places his name with theirs. And this is a beautiful name until God nicks it right here. Uh, he nicks part of his name. In other words, he takes the J and E off uh, and calls him just Kaniah. In other words, God removes his name from his name. Uh, prior to that, uh, his name literally means Jehovah establishes. When God removes his name from uh, Kaniah's name, you'll notice in verse 28, the Bible says, Is this man Kaniah a despised and broken idol? This is a reflection of what his name without God's name means. It's broken to pieces, or basically it's a ruined, total despair without God. Uh, so God changes his name here to reflect the judgment that he's going to put down upon him. This is a young man, and uh, he doesn't reign very long. Um, he was one of the kings of Judah, and uh, this man uh, was wicked like his father was wicked. If you look through the uh, Word of God, you won't find a whole lot of mentions of him. As a matter of fact, when I got to thinking to myself, if this man was so wicked that God would curse him, and not only curse him, but say it's impossible for any of his seed uh, to be on the throne of David, what in the world did he do? And to be honest about it, it just says that he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, if you'll look back at verse 17, you'll see his father, uh, the sins of his father, they're defined for us in verse 17 and verse 21. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 22, we won't take time to read those. Uh, but there are some lessons there in the introduction I hope that I'll be able to share with you about this man and uh, about what God did. Let me read to you a verse over in Psalm 89 and verse 35. And I hope that you'll just listen as I read. For sake of time, we won't turn there. But here's what the Bible says. God says, Once I have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? God said that the seed of David is going to endure forever, and it is going to endure forever. It's going to endure uh, through the man Christ Jesus. Notice what the Bible continues. It says, and his, and, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. I'm thankful that once God promises something, he keeps his word, amen? And God is able to keep his word. Now, if you were to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 1, I want to show you Jeconiah one more time. Uh, this time, you'll find him in the genealogy of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, if you'll look with me there, I want to begin reading and uh, look at verse number 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 11. Uh, the Bible says, And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. 
And that's one of the reasons why he was the last king. God was finished. God was over. And uh, God give, curses him. Then look at verse 12. It says, And after these were brought uh, to Babylon, uh, Jeconias begat Slothiel, and Slothiel begat Zerubbabel. And the list goes on and on again. Now, uh, the problem that I want you to see, and this is the first point to the message tonight, it's very simple, and, and hopefully you'll jot this down. I want you to see the curse of Jeconias. God cursed him. You say, Brother Fred, what does that mean? Did he swear with him, uh, swear at him, or say curse words to him? No. Uh, he just simply uh, cursed him by preventing any of his seed uh, from sitting on the king of David. Well, now this is very important because what this does is uh, this is in direct line uh, with King David and from King David to King Solomon. So I want you to understand as you read through the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 1, you're looking at David and then Solomon's genealogy. Well, God promises us in Jeremiah chapter 22 that there will be no one uh, of that lineage, of Jeconiah's lineage, that will sit on the throne of David. So now I don't know about you, uh, but when I hear that, boy, I think to myself, there's a problem. There's something wrong with that. Wait a minute, we know uh, that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David, and we know that Jesus has every rightful place on the throne of David, and we understand that Matthew chapter 1 gives us the genealogy of Christ. So wait a minute, uh, what, what's the uh, result of this curse? Well, I want you to understand, according uh, to Jeremiah chapter 22, that this seed is cursed. And there's a problem with that. Let me back up for just a moment. And I want to tell you a little bit about uh, uh, this man by the name of Jeconiah. First off, I want you to see he was a very young king, not the youngest king. There were other kings that were younger than him. Uh, he uh, reigned a very short time. And boy, there are some great principles we can uh, learn about that. The first thing I want you to see about Jeconiah is that he never repented. His father was a sinful man, and he continued, continued in his sin. Let me tell you something. We live in a generation where, wait a minute, uh, there have been many fathers that have lived against and outside of God's will. We live in a generation where there's men that care, could care less about what God has to say. And wait a minute, their children have followed right in their footsteps. I want you to understand that that does not relieve them, uh, that does not excuse them from God's judgment and his punishment. Understand that every man, no matter what their age or no matter what their parents did, they're still personally accountable to God for the sins that they commit. There's another great principle that we can learn here, and I hope that you'll write down by Jack and I somewhere, that youth is no excuse for unrighteousness. Boy, I tell you what, we live in a generation where the young folks can outcurse the older folks now. We live in a generation uh, where the young folks are as wicked as the adults are. And I want you to understand that this is a great Bible lesson uh, to teach the young folks that, wait a minute, just because you're young will not excuse you from uh, receiving a curse from God. Uh, listen, it does not uh, excuse you from the wrath or judgment from God. Uh, listen, youth is, uh, is no excuse for any type of wickedness. There's one more lesson that I'll give you, and we'll move on. I'm giving you some application here about this uh, Jack and I and how that God cursed him. The third thing is this, and I hope that you'll listen to it, young folks. I hope that you'll see that no position that you hold, whether it be in the church, the nation of Israel, or whatever position, that position that you hold will not keep you from God's judgment. Understand it was God's plan to use the kings. 
Understand it was God's plans to work through a man by the name of David and Solomon and so on and so forth. It was God's plan and His way to use the kings. But let me tell you that no position in this life that you hold will excuse you from the judgment of God. And even though that um, Jeconiah was the king of Israel, that's God's chosen people, even though Jeconiah was the number one leader over all of the holy and righteous people on the face of the earth, it did not uh, relieve him or did not uh, prevent him from being judged by God. May God help us as we think about that, as we uh, sit in church, as we think about even our position in the church, uh, wickedness is not excused by God. Listen, you say, Brother Fred, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to lose my salvation. Uh, well, listen, that's true. You're right. Uh, we are safe in Christ. Amen. We're kept by his power. We're kept by his strength, not by ours. Uh, and I'm thankful that I'm trusting in him and not me. I'm thankful that I'm looking to Christ. I'm trusting in him and not my own works of righteousness. I'm trusting in his perfect righteousness. Had a boy, Brother Chris, on my bus. He said something. I wanted to, hey, man, listen, he got my 100% of my support. He got 100% of me. Here's what he said, Brother Chris. He, he was on the bus and the kids were making fun of him. He carries a King James Bible on top of his books every day of his life. There's not a day that he gets on my school bus that the very first thing that I see walk on the bus is a King James Bible. That's the first thing I see every day. And boy, I like it. The kids make fun of him. The kids give him a hard time. And one day, uh, he, he lives the Christian life in such a way that one of them made this statement. They say, and young men, let me ask you. Young men, let me ask you. What kind of testimony do you have among the lost? He, he, he made this statement. The kids were making this statement. So they asked him, they said, Kevin, what do you think you are? Do you think you're perfect? He stalled for just a moment. And here's what he said. He's a junior in high school. Here's the words out of his mouth. Here's what he said. He says, let me tell you something. I'm not perfect, but Jesus Christ was perfect for me. Man, I like that. And that's exactly right. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus Christ is perfect for us. And, and guys, I want you to think about that thought for just a moment. Just because we're saved and on our way to heaven don't mean that it's, uh, there's no possibility for God uh, chastening us. Uh, if, if you're one of his children, then God will correct you. And God will get you right one way or another. Listen, I've done found out the hard way many times that God will break you. God will put you in the hospital. God will put you flat on his back. If you're one of his children... If God loves you, as a matter of fact, the Word of God is very clear and it uses some explicit language in the book of Hebrews. And it says very clearly, if you're one of God's children and you live in sin and continue in sin and don't have any intentions of getting it right, if you have no intentions of turning from your unrighteousness, then God's going to judge you. God's going to chasten you as a child. He's going to spank you. You can't avoid that. You can't miss it. You can't get away from it. And dear child of God, let me give you the warning from the Word of God that, wait a minute, whom God loves, He chastens. Every last one of them. There's not a child that God has He doesn't correct. Every one of them. May we be quick to get right. Uh, Jack and I was not like that. Jack and I would not turn from His sin. He was very unrepentant, and God had to curse him. So you say, Brother Fred, what in the world happened? Let me give you just a couple verses, and then I'm going to move on. 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 9, the Bible says this. He says, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Talk about Jeconiah. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 9, this was his testimony. Jeconiah was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months and ten days. That's it, three months in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That was his testimony. That's it. It's really all he has to say about him. Boy, but there's a great lesson to learn there. May we realize that our youth does not excuse us from wickedness. May God help us to see that. So God curses Jeconiah. Now I want you to go back in your thinking to the book of Matthew. And I want you to think that, wait a minute, if, if God cursed Jeconiah, then how could he be found and his children in Matthew chapter number 1? And I want you to remind yourself of the curse that we found in Jeremiah chapter 22. I want to read to you uh, the last verse one more time. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man childless, a man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Let me go to this extent and say this. If Jesus Christ was of the direct lineage of Jeconiah and of the seed mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, he would not be qualified to be the king of Israel. You say, Brother Fred, you're off in your thinking. No. No, what you're looking at is you're looking at Joseph's genealogy. Joseph was the adoptive parent of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ would have came through this lineage, he would have fell under the curse of Jeconiah. If Jesus Christ uh, would have been physically kin to Joseph, there'd be no possible way for him to sit on the throne of his father, David. Wow, what a thought! Because God cursed Jeconiah. Now, I want to move to the next point, which is the exciting point. I want you to see the conception. There's not only a curse found in this story, but there's a conception that changes everything. It's the virgin birth of Christ. See, the virgin birth of Christ solves this dilemma. So now, what you're looking at in Matthew chapter 1 is you're looking at Joseph's genealogy. Now, I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 3, and I want you to look at Mary's genealogy. Now, I've asked this question many times, and most people have no idea who in the world I'm talking about. But there is a man in the Old Testament by the name of Nathan. Now, most of the time when I say that, most people will think to themselves, yes, I know David, uh, Nathan. He was the man that came into David's presence and pointed his finger at him. He was the man of God, the prophet of God, the seer of God that pointed his finger in the face of David and said, Thou art the man, not that Nathan, different Nathan. See, understand that King David had other children other than Solomon. David and Bathsheba had other children, and one of those children was named Nathan. We're going to see him in Luke chapter 3. So I want you to understand, when you read Matthew chapter 1, uh, from David to Jesus, there is a completely different genealogy or a completely different set of names. And as you read through the two, you may try to compare them. You think to yourself, boy, this just doesn't make sense at all. You're exactly right. And the reason why it doesn't make sense is because in the book of Matthew, we have the legal line of Jesus Christ. Legally, 
He was the rightful heir to the king of David. And I'm thankful that Joseph legally adopted him. He did exactly what the angel of the Lord said. He uh, fell in complete obedience to the angel of the Lord and adopted Jesus. So legally, he was the, the rightful king of the throne of David. Oh, but God does something even more powerful in Luke chapter 3. And I want you to notice with me Luke chapter 3. And let me see here. I got make sure I get the right notes for you. Look with me at verse 31. I won't read them all. But as you do this comparison, I want you to see uh, from David to Jesus, this is a completely different group of family. Whole different family because we're not talking about Joseph anymore. We're talking about Mary. Notice what the Bible says in verse 31. It says, which was the son of Malia, uh, which was the son of Menon, which was the son of Matha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. Do you see that Mary did not come from the seed of Solomon? Throughout all of history, all of Bible history, Satan zeroed in and targeted Solomon's seed and tried to destroy it. All but hidden, very hidden, God was able to keep his word because turn back with me over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I want you to look with me what the Bible says in verse 37. When Gabriel announces Christ's birth in verse 26, he continues this story about how he's going to send a Savior. Notice very carefully in verse 32, he shall be great and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, who? David. But let me tell you something. He comes through a completely different seed. Solomon is not even in the picture. There's another son of David that God has hid. God's protecting throughout all of history, and his name is Nathan. And guess what? The Bible says, notice what it says in verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. So what I want you to see, yes, God cursed Jeconiah in the seed of Solomon, but wait a minute, because of the conception, the virgin birth of Christ, the dilemma is solved. Uh, there is no more issue. Christ was legally related to Joseph. I'm thankful for adoption. But Christ was physically related to Mary, and we find that in Luke chapter 3 and verse 31. Understand, please, if Joseph was the biological father of Jesus, he could not have been the Messiah. Not only does the virgin birth solve this dilemma, but also the virgin birth proves the reliability of the Scripture. I'm thankful that God keeps His Word. I'm going to move quickly. The virgin birth also fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Uh, the virgin birth is also a beautiful expression of the supernatural. And I would share with you Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Uh, and then uh, here's the last one. The virgin birth allowed Christ to acquire human nature without affecting his sinless deity. And the word of God is very clear. Would you look in Luke chapter 1, and I know you're already there. I want you to see both ends, both the biological and the theological argument here. The, uh, Mary wonders about these things. By the way, Mary was the first doubter of the virgin birth. She said, how, how can these things be, seeing that I know not a man? And I'm glad that it doesn't say, amen, we've got the right version of the Bible. I'm glad it doesn't say, seeing that I'm not married. It doesn't say that at all. It's very specific. It says, seeing that I know not a man. She, in her complete innocence, says, wait a minute, how is this possible, being that I've not been with a man? 
I'm thankful for that. Notice what the Bible says in, uh, let's see here, uh, verse 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, this answers her question in verse 34, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. That's the biological end of it. You say, Brother Fred, explain that to me. No, I can't. You say, Brother Warnick, explain that. To Listen, don't even waste your time. He can't either. Let me tell you something. If a human mind and a human tongue could explain the virgin birth of Christ, then wait a minute. It's, that God is not great enough. It's a greater God than what we can explain. We just have to accept it by faith. But we see the biological end of it. Mary was the mother. The Holy Ghost uh, was the one who conceived this child. It says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now also, you say, Brother Fred, wasn't Mary a sinner? Uh, don't, uh, don't, d d doesn't the child get his sin from his mother or from his father? You know, it really doesn't matter. Because the theological argument is finished in this verse as well. Notice what 35 says. It says, therefore also, would you mark these two words, that holy thing, that holy thing, which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Listen, I'm thankful that uh, through the conception of this virgin birth, the dilemma of the curse uh, was taken care of. Let me give you the last one. We're out of time. I want you to look back with me over to uh, back into Jeremiah chapter 22. And I want you to actually look with me at the first verse of 23. Now, before I do that, I want to give you just a, a little bit of uh, background about how God works. Did you know that the Word of God is a progressive revelation of God? In other words, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God progressively reveals Himself. He doesn't do it all in one book. He doesn't do it all with one man. He does it over the course of time, over the course of years. God reveals Himself. One of the ways that God reveals himself is by his names. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll find the name Jehovah. Jehovah is the covenant-keeping or covenant-making name of God. It's his promised name. When you see God use his name Jehovah or capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you understand that he has made a promise and that promise will be kept. God keeps his word, amen? So I want you to see not only the curse of Jeconiah, I want you to see the conception, but I want you to see the crown as well because that's what it's all about, the crown. Jesus is going to have his rightful place on the throne of David. I want you to see how he does it. See, here's what God does. When he reveals himself, he, he places man in a position or in a situation where it seems like all hope is lost. When God reveals himself, he goes to the furthest extreme and man in his mind wonders and thinks there is no hope. There is no help. There is no deliverance. There is no possible way. And then God shows up. Uh, God goes to the furthest extreme to reveal himself, and he does it in this case. Here you find himself revealing himself, and this is the first time in the Scripture you find Jehovah Sidkenim. This is the Lord, our righteousness. In chapter 23, here's what God does. God takes man to the furthest extent of unrighteousness. As a matter of fact, you have king after king after king where the word of God says, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
As a matter of fact, he is so evil that he gets to the man by the name of Jeconiah. God nicks his name, takes Jehovah out of it, and calls him Kaniah. Basically, I'm going to crumble you to pieces. And he says, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. I'm going to curse you because you're so unrighteous, because you're so filthy, because you're so wicked, because you're so defiled. Your name is called Kaniah. So that's how far God takes man before he reveals how righteous he is. He goes one more step, and we find that in chapter 23. Notice what he does with the pastors. We're talking about the shepherds. We're talking about the leader of, leaders of the people. In, in chapter 23, verse 1, the Bible says, Woe be unto the pastors. What do they do? That destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore saith the Lord God of Israel against the, what? Pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where, where, whither I have driven them and will bring them against to their fold, again to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Now, here's what God's done. God says, wait a minute, I'm going to show you that there's no, there's no righteousness with the kings. Those are my chosen people to lead the nation of Israel. There's no righteousness with the pastors. They're the spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. There's no righteousness there. So I want you to see what God does. And with every Jehovah combination that's found in the Scripture, God becomes for us what we cannot be for ourselves. Would you write that down? God becomes for us what we cannot be for ourselves and understand that it is impossible for human flesh to be righteous. So what God does is He is our righteousness. Since we have no righteousness, since there was not a righteous king, He becomes our righteousness. Since there was not a righteous shepherd, a spiritual leader, He becomes our righteousness forth. Now notice what the Word of God says in verse 5. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. He had just cursed Jeconiah and his seed, but He's promising to make this covenant come to pass that He made with David. He says that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king, would you mark that, shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And notice what the Bible says, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. He reconfirms that same covenant in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 for a second time. In other words, in case you didn't get it the first time, God does it again in chapter um, 33. I'm sorry, 23. Uh, 33, verses 14 and 15. I'll get it right in a minute. We won't take time to look at it. But for a second time, he reconfirms that covenant. Now you say, Brother Fred, what are you saying here? What I'm saying is this. God curses Jack and I and says, wait a minute, this lineage, through this lineage, through this man, through this man's seed, and they've been watching it for years. Jack and I wasn't there just alone. We're talking about all of his forefathers was in that line. God curses that seed. God curses that line. And then in the very next chapter, wait a minute, he says there's going to be a crown. There's going to be a crown given, and someone is going to be able to sit on the, uh, the throne of David. And his name was Jesus. Not through the legal line, of Joseph, 
but through the physical line of Mary. Aren't you glad that God always keeps His Word? Aren't you glad that in impossible situations our God's able? There's nothing too hard for our God. Uh, there's nothing that is too difficult for Him. I'm thankful that He's able, aren't you? May God help us to learn tonight that the virgin birth of Christ, the conception, was all so important. And uh, it is a major foundation doctrine in the Word of God. May we put our faith and trust that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. I'm thankful for it.